coming at you from Handsome Headquarters here in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm Lee Sanger Golden, and you're listening to me talk on the internet. It's official. We were wrong. And Donald Trump um, did not win the presidency. Hold on. We, uh, we didn't say he was going to win. We thought he might continue being in power. We always said he was yeah. going And he's trying. He's oh, certainly he's trying. trying. Yeah. No momentum um, yet, but. He seems pissed that no one put together the plan for him. Like, if you want to stay, like, there was plenty yeah. of opportunity to stage a coup. The last couple of nights, like they gave him plenty of time. The networks didn't call shit. The states were still, you know, God bless them, still trying to count all the ballots, you know. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, of- today, Saturday, everybody started calling it. Yeah. Well, and, it shows um, it takes more than one to coup. We were talking about all of the thousand or so people that need yeah. to go along with it. And so far. No, these local. No. Um, these uh, the uh, local vote counters and the local uh, officials, even in these Republican states, have just wanted to get the job done. So I'm I'm happy for that. For a future um, show, I do want to look at the rise of Donald Trump through the lens of uh, cults. Yeah. But I don't oh get yes. Today, hundred percent. That's something where we know he will not go quietly into the night. And no, no, no. This is a lot to over. talk about, but not this today. isn't over. Not for a long shot. This is an interesting little victory that we have here, but it's not over. I don't know yes. for a long shot. Uh, he'll he'll never give up. He will always accept that um, he'll, that uh, it was rigged against him. He'll be using the word dishonest and dishonest, dishonest. And most importantly, he will still govern his own USA in exile. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because you can occupy that space. You can become a powerful world force um, just being you know a person or an idea. You don't have to be a country. So he can just declare, this is, you know, my That's America. Cult. That is a cult. And I don't like think this is over for a long time. Yeah, it's definitely a cult. I think that perhaps by the time we're Joe Biden's age, Baron Trump might just be Baron of America. Well, who knows what, but uh, your idea of Americans, confederacy. Yeah. Well, we're already a confederacy in our minds. You know what I mean? Like uh, we've already seceded from each other in a bizarre sort of way. And that's very sad. And I don't know, maybe Joe Biden is just the kind of middle of the road guy that can that can uh, finally do it. But let's call it out. You know, finally, one of my personal political goals in life, having a president with the middle name Robinette has <laughs> come true. <laughs> and Joseph Robinette um, Biden is now going to be the next president of the United States. It's. Yeah, we have. I don't want to get into this today either, but there is still work to be done between now and January 20th. I think yeah. we should get oh, yeah. to that next week. Cause, uh, Certainly. It ain't over till it's over. And there's a lot of steps in the process before votes become most certainly, but, uh, official well, or whatever. When you do turn the mic over to me for a few minutes, I prepared yes. some talking points. Uh, that's looking more beyond January, but next week we'll get back to between now and January, I would think. Okay. All yeah. right. So um, you were on the ground today. What's going on, man? What are you thinking? Oh, you want to launch right into it. I let's was get gonna, right into it. Let's get right into it. So you. let's. Uh, all right. Well, so, yes, I did both today and earlier this week join uh, rallies. I do not want to call them protests. We weren't protesting. We were coming together. Um, Nothing to protest. Everything seems to be working okay. Not yet. Although there were some, some of the speakers did raise up uh, a few things in protest, but 
So what I really resonated with me, so two themes really stood out at the rally today. Um, the first, which I think is pretty obvious, was, hey, hey, ho, ho, Donald Trump has got to go. Mm. Or <laughs> more concisely put, uh, fuck Donald Trump. Fuck Donald Trump. There's those also three words. FTD. What? Yes. So that was the first theme, which is obvious. The second, and the one that I was really focused on, I want to focus on here, is the truth that many, many people who voted for Biden did not vote for Biden, but against Trump. Yeah, and for Kamala Harris, too. Yeah, to some degree. Uh, But so obviously there's a lot to this idea here, but I wanted to just focus on one area right now that was going through my mind all day and even yesterday. Um, and so let me, let me spell this out for you. It's probably going to take a couple minutes. So I hope I I have that. So yeah. So what I've, what I've been thinking about a lot this week and definitely today listening to the organizer speak is, um, this idea that the, the future of the democratic party, um, and the ability to fight fascism from taking over at the federal level is really present right now. Um, and so when I say democratic party, I'm really focused on the federal level. There's a lot going on, variations, more local. But the party right now is at a critical and even fragile inflection point. Uh, I'm not the first to say this. I've been reading about this for 10 years now. Um, And so what I've been thinking about is that ceding both power and the mic to its real base, which we'll get back to, luckily supports policies that are overwhelmingly supported by people of all political stripes, will make or break the party. And to a great extent, it will determine what happens in both the 2022 and 2024 elections, and obviously beyond, but those most critically uh, in the near future. So in Biden's speech, either yesterday or the day before, he talked about his mandate on, uh, broadly speaking, climate change and systemic racism. But of course, these are very broad concepts. These are empty vessels waiting to be filled. Uh, one of the signs I saw today while, while walking was a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. that said, the evils of capitalism are as real as the evils of racism. So back to the voting for Biden, motivated by Interesting. a vote against, right? So what I was thinking was, when I saw that sign, was the idea of voting for Biden, motivated by a vote against Trump, brings forward this idea to fill the vessel of Biden's broad mandate, what I said earlier, climate change and systemic racism. So what it means in one sense is that tax breaks for Tesla ain't going to end climate change and tax breaks for private developers to develop communities is not going to end systemic racism. Are you sure about that? I'm pretty damn sure. Um, It's very hard to prove. Okay. Except in the, the past. And so if the Biden campaign doesn't acknowledge that it's winning the presidency was driven by a progressive and very active base, it will destroy the Democratic Party. Luckily, he doesn't really have to go out on a limb. Um, You could even look at Florida, that the agenda of progressives is widely supported. We saw that with the incredible support for the passage of the $15 minimum wage there. Um, And then also as a side note, Everything that the Biden campaign and corporate Democrats warned us against would happen with Bernie also happened with Biden. He gave up votes 
to uh, black and brown people in several states. He lost yeah. Florida. And yep. we may even lose the Senate. All of the things he said, if you go for Bernie, we're going to do that. We're going to lose this. And exactly but people are going to blame the socialists or the democratic socialists or the so, left side of the party for of that. Course. So this is, this they're is what say I was AOC and all those folks and their green new deal. So um, I'm going to get back to this blame the game. Yeah. Right. And so this blame game is going to be pivotal. Let me work up to that. Okay. So the Bi- Biden campaign can acknowledge these efforts of the, um, the, the, the real work being done in two ways. The first is giving massive numbers of his 4,000 odd appointees um, to progressive champions. And second, allowing, uh, unlike Clinton and Obama, to let these progressive leaders control the narrative of what the Democratic Party stands for. And this is going to be right back to what you just said about the blame game, because narrative okay. is incredibly important, especially in a time like today. Yes. Um, but one of the good things that a caller on another talk show said this week that I heard was that one big positive about Biden is he's not seen as a deity. Like you could say Obama and Clinton were and also Trump. In yeah, very he's just ways, kind of, of like course. a grandpa figure. Exactly. He goes back he, to like a just generic president guy that I feel like our country just used to be comfortable with. And we just kind exactly. of think whoever like was like the most seemed like the most like our grandpa or something like that. He is. And so, but we know the office of the president is beyond the president, him or herself. And so he had that calming sense, that grandpa-like figure and the ability to relate and uh, really calm shared grief in his words. Yeah. And this is an amazing strength. But what we need to be sure is that the policies put forth and the narrative spoken of really captures the real causes behind the shared grief. Because um, we know that's one of the critical reason why a lot of people are not excited about Biden. They know his history for the last almost 50 years now. And so I wanted to just go through a couple of the major actions that would underlie the narrative with the, I'll be the first to say that just because we get behind these things, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. And the first one, and we're going to get back to this later, because as we start building towards a uh, starting real talk radio, the fairness doctrine really needs to be focused on again. It disappeared in 1987. It was started into the 1930s after realizing that if people live in echo chambers and you can just keep speaking to that on, on radio, yeah. you, cannot, you can't build a society without some governance because what happens is bullies and demagogues fill that void of structurelessness. And mm-hmm. we're seeing that now. And so we've lived for 35 years without this. We need to bring it back and update it to obviously a 21st century context, because then it only applied to the major news stations. Now it has to be the, the internet, which of course means taking on big tech, which we'll get back to another time, because that's... That's going to be the big battle of this century, right. really. And we're going so to, there's the, going to be a big political realignment. Exactly. That but as it, the shared, it, uh, not, I'm not going to say enemy, but shared motivation to, to do something politically in this country. Because exactly, yeah these companies uh, that control the way that we live our lives and communicate and find things and buy things and do everything uh, that they basically their, their very existence represents an existential threat to freedom. Exactly. It's the MLK quote that the, the evils of capitalism, if we let money speak louder than governance, right. So if they can just make money by never doing this. So that's, that's a huge thing, but it's centered around the fairness doctrine, which we'll get into more. Okay, um, get into it. We obviously, and then I'm just going to list a few things. The Supreme Court, 
not just this idea of court packing, but really addressing its obscene amount of power through what is called judicial review to uh, really have the effective power of overturning legislation, which is insane. Uh, the Senate, its representation and its powers. Oh, yeah, that's a huge one. So those are two structural things. Um, and then a bunch of other things that also relate to the idea of diffusing power and expanding perspectives that people hear. So we have the de- decommodification of social goods, whether it's universal health care, daycare, debt forgiveness, any of those things. The democratization of money creation. Um, that's yes, everything from debt public forgiveness. That yes. is the, that's the and true way to free the chattel uh, yes, and um, debt, in our country. And debt, well, let's, but that's where it's the international struggle because it's not just our country. $27 trillion has been, in the last 30 years, have gone from what is a lot of times called the global south to private investors through the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. And so debt forgiveness is also- as certain people like to call it. So, but we can't just let money reign free and just go wherever it wants. So this is a huge thing. And this obviously relates to our military forward foreign policy, which, you know, whether you want to call it the military industrial complex or not, it's the idea that our military and our protecting us as a country is, is the most important foreign policy. And we spend what is it? And I want to talk about that in the military in particular later, because I think there was coded messages and things going on behind the scenes related to military power in this country. Um, basically this, um, sorry, do you, do you have things you want to finish? Yeah. So let me just do my whole thought here. Yeah. Figure that out. So the last thing is, is also reigning in the power of owners, landowners, investors, executives. So those are the big things. We've got the fairness doctrine, Supreme court, Senate, decommodifying social goods, democratizing money creation, reigning in the power of owners and transforming the IMF and world bank. So this obviously seems like a lot, but these aren't new ideas. Extensive frameworks and plans already have been exists, have already been developed over decades. You know, the Supreme Court reform, there's been proposals put forward since the mid-1850s. It's been almost 200 fucking years. This is nothing new. And so there it is. So ceding power, as I'm talking about right now, for the Biden campaign means most immediately the administrative seats that he appoints, the 4,000 odd ones. And who controls the narrative? So, you know, if this doesn't happen, we'll have a continued feakless Democratic Party. Um, it will continue to have to contend with the GOP. Again, I'm talking about the federal level one, um, which actually speaks directly and fervently to its actual base. But if the Democrats don't speak to their actual base, but instead this imagined base of people in press suits and and fancy jobs and and what they're calling moderate Democrats, which is really just code word for corporatists and public oh, yeah. private partnerships. The 2020s right. will be a very scary time. The roaring so 2020s. They're going to roar. It's gonna, it would be absolutely crazy. It's, as a recent article, I think today or yesterday came out, Daryl Pickney, an author, just the name of the article says it all, a society on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Um, so that is really what, I was thinking about today, the idea of we're at a critical junction. And this is what I'm talking about is that the the future of what we call the Democratic Party and its ability at the federal level to face on the threat of fascism, which will not disappear just because Trump is not in office. And so what it's about is who who he brings in, he and she, because it's Kamala and Joe, 
Um, so the whole, say the whole campaign, who they bring in, and then also very importantly, who's controlling the narrative and what is, what does, what will the Democratic Party actually stand for? And not continuing that blame game of, oh, we're not socialists, we're not this. Because when you say you're not a socialist, you're basically ceding a lot of power to the person who's accusing you, and you're saying absolutely nothing. Well, I think we need to spend a lot of time not thinking about the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. Because, and a lot of political analysts are pointing this out for better or for worse, but we're seeing a lot of split ticket votes. And I don't know what the fucking numbers are this time, but I think we're going to see what we've heard anecdotally, which is, well, what we've seen with these these states that um, Joe seems to be winning the presidency, but we're losing the Senate races, which is people kind of are ready to get above party and are sort of with their votes in crucial states trying to make a statement of, look, we'll put Joe in charge because he seems harmless and the Democrats, you know, we can fix things maybe a little bit. But in terms of the Congress people, you know, maybe we just keep the Republicans in there just so there's like a check and balance, which seems annoying for a progressive agenda, but that's kind of how it's designed. And I'm totally fine with people uh, voting split tickets. We should be able to vote any way we want. That's why it's cool. I wish we lived oh, totally. in a place where different parties had different ideas and so you could vote for different people or different initiatives based on ideas and solutions, not all of this red, blue. And I'm just really sick of it because we've been spending all this time just looking at these maps and these arbitrary blocks of places, right? Well, we stole X number of Indian lands here and then we had this number of slaves there. So we get this number of numbers in this weird fucking game that we play about who gets the nuclear football based on uh, uh, these uh, uh, 270 votes we have to get rather than just how many people are fucking voting. So anyway. No, there's no doubt about it. That's why I'm very uh, clear and aware that I'm talking about, because we still have a federal government and people can vote however they want. That's totally true. And a local Republican may well sometimes be actually better than a Democrat in the federal House or Senate. But so what I'm getting oh, let's at not go really, crazy. <laughs> well, anyway, but what I'm getting at is that we have a federal government, and if there's and we currently do have a two-party system, and if there's no counterparty to the GOP at the federal level, which has become the party of Trump and what he stands for. hundred percent then we don't have an effective counter to it. And that was what I'm saying could lead to the rise of fascism. Not, and so we do, it's true. We don't always want to fall into this because that's a huge, I think, issue right now that the second someone, you know, learns someone's uh, a Democrat or Republican, it's like, oh, can't talk to them anymore. Got to defriend them. It's like, no, find some common ground because chances are you probably share at least some stuff in common. And that's why, like what you said, that, if people could vote for things they believe in, not just one party or the other, but you know, that happens more at local level. So what I'm saying is the federal, our federal government and what's happening there, because, uh, you know, fascists do truly take over our federal government, taking it down through a lot of local efforts and organizing is possible, but the risk of like an actual hot war here and elsewhere goes up tremendously. So that's what I'm trying to get at. Right. And um, I think that we need to talk about that and how there really was an opportunity for what we were calling an autocratic attempt. 
And in a way, mm. there is. I mean, Trump wishes, thinks there is one going on. But what he didn't realize is that you have to actually plan this out, which is what makes me really worried is, you know, okay, we get rid of Trump for now. But now we're just going to get someone who's like smarter and more charming that's going to do this same kind of thing and use the same kind of rhetoric, same kind of politics to to get back in. And, um, you know, those those millions of people that voted for him based on all of this white supremacist Breitbart nonsense, they're still there waiting for someone to to do the kind of things that in the last 72 hours really could have turned the, the tail. It's funny that guys like you and I. We thought this through that this was going to happen, that basically if Trump was smart, what he would have been done is told his guys to those stand back and stand by guys. I mean, if he was really smart, what he should have done is sent them into (laughs) Democratic cities in um, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, just send all those guys with their their Hummers and their AR-15s. And there were a few of these guys and just send in and start, you know, burning down um, um, polling stations uh, while Trump was still ahead. And for fucking fortunately, and I don't know what, what was happening behind the scenes because it seems as though there were people that were ready to do that. I mean, they arrested these these guys uh, with their guns and their their little Hummer. And uh, luckily it was, only seemed to be them. Um, but there was a moment there again, the next couple days where the media wasn't calling it. And it was pretty clear that Biden was going to pull it out, um, but nobody wanted to call it except for some weird website called Decision Desk or something. So again, there was this moment where um, if there really was an organized sort of um, militia that was could the army for Trump that they all said that they had that could have gone out, there was an opportunity to do that. Now, sure. I, don't, I wasn't on the ground, but I assume that there was cops and probably uh, Natty Guard. Like we definitely, you and I, we, when we rode downtown, we saw like gunships, basically. These three um, um, helicopters, but they're the kind of helicopter with, with uh, double propellers on them, right? And mm-hmm. um, you know that cops and soldiers have been deployed all across the country. And what I hope happened is if there was this activity, this white supremacist activity, which the FBI has officially stated is the the greatest threat to our country in terms of bad guys, is uh, you know domestic white supremacy terrorists, um, that hopefully they're they're catching these guys, they're keeping them at bay, like those those guys that wanted to uh, um, kidnap the governor, mm-hmm. um, and um, hopefully they're they're keeping these people at bay and doing their jobs. And hopefully maybe that kind of stuff will heal some of these wounds that we have between uh, um, the law enforcement community and um, everyday people, especially those Mm -hmm. who have been been hurt by them. And so Joe said something last night. It's a really a common thing uh, and something that an old school politician like him probably always does all the time, which is he ended his speech. And I figured he'd end his speech with God bless all of you or God bless the postal workers, or God bless the vote counters. And first of all, I'm happy to have a a president that just gives like brief speeches and goes back and says, okay, you can go back to your lives now. And not one that spends an hour and a half being like, look, I totally know how to drink water and walk down ramps. It's just nice to have a president who just just go away, right? Um, But um, anyway. Yeah, and so I think, I mean, the thing is like, we're 
a violent coup obviously didn't happen. He's trying to yeah. do a judicial coup. Oh, like, but anyway, but, sorry, sorry. Now I remember it. what my thought was. He said at the very end, um, and remember, God bless our troops. Now people are saying, oh yeah, he just said God bless his troops, our troops. Um, I think because the, it was reported that the media had conversations with the army. And what what the reports about these conversations were um, was that the army assured the the media that there would be no military action mm-hmm. um, related to the related to the election. Um, and if they're briefing the media, these networks, the biggest leakiest McLeaks of all time. Um, but anyway, you for sure know that they're briefing the Biden administration. And um, although Trump is privy to all of the, you know, high security shit, you know, he's not paying attention to that. And the general, uh, the generals in the military class in the United States, they've worked with Joe Biden for decades. You know, he's gone on fucking fact-finding missions to Fallujah and shit. You know, he's, he's been on various committees and, you know, he knows a lot of these guys. And, you know, they had a conversation with them and they said, look, Joe, it's not going to happen. If this happens, if Trump wins again, it's not going to happen that way. It's not going to be because a bunch of goofballs are going to do like a Nazi coup. Like, we're not going to let that happen. We have our guys deployed and their their gunships and the cops and everything. We're going to hold it together. So don't fucking worry. You can just call for patience. The media, we've already talked to them. They're going to call for patience, too. So I, I think that his little and God bless our troops at the very end there. Um, was uh, interesting coded messaging. And I think it also might have something to do with those outlying uh, uh, military votes. And, um, you know, there's going to be so many conspiracy theories coming out of this. This election is going to be the JFK conspiracy theory uh, world um, all over again. Um, No doubt. So so many. Let's not forget, we have like 72 days of conspiracy theory. Because remember, he hasn't actually been. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was called by media. He hasn't become president because that no. happens in our uh, in our Congress next year, and so they're still trying to do it through the judiciary, which is just going to delay things and continue yeah. sowing um, mistrust. Mm-hmm. So they're, that's the second and thing, and then is... they're trying. But then the federal ones are trying to get to state level legis um, yeah. legislators, who in a lot of enough states is controlled by Republicans, where. You know they're they're going to make a decision. Do they see it in their own best interest? Because they're all, everyone's about self preservation. So mm-hmm. do they see it in their interest to join along with the federal? No, because the Republicans the did no, no, really well. This is the, the Republicans did really well. Yeah, but some of them might. But some I'm, I'm just saying that the the momentum behind a coup is decreasing because right because they don't care. They've already world. won their races. Mitch McConnell already won his race. Oh, no, I'm talking about state about level stuff. Names yes, that we and those hear. those people no, too. State, he did, yeah. but he did really well in the state houses. Uh, he helped propel people um, to to hold back against the Democrats. You could say, in a lot of these state house races, and and uh, you know the the lead for the uh, uh, the advantage for the, yeah. the Democrats in Congress shrunk. So, um, so the Trump campaign would need to convince, and like I think within three states all the enough state legislators to put forth a competing slate of electors. Yeah. Which and they're maybe not going to pull it, it off in one not state. the national attitude right now. Well, does, it has to be the behavior. attitude of a hand, a few dozen people because they're the ones making right. the decision. But that's why they, the idea mm-hmm. of like showing a huge amount of support on the streets, making calls yeah. that 
if if these individuals see enough support for not going along with Trump, they may well just be like, you know, I already won or lost my race. I'm going to, I just see it in my best interest to, to preserve see, my position of power, not to go, not to try this coup, basically, not to join along with the coup. Because he but that's still think- what they're trying to do. That's what he's trying to do. He's not gaining really momentum. He doesn't have, you know, he's got, what's his face from, uh, a couple of his personal attorneys, what's his name? Um, Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, but there's, he didn't think really he was going to be on the defensive. Momentum. That's the thing, yeah. Ben, is he didn't think he was going to be on the offensive. He thinks he thought he was going to do really well on election day, which he did, and that these Democratic votes would be, come in and that his legal team would be able to stop it and his early lead would hold, and that was it. And then it would become a Bush versus Gore, but we would all look like the sore losers once again. But he wasn't – the legal team just wasn't there, and and there wasn't – um, and apparently Kushner said that uh, uh, he was supposed to – he told the, the Donald, oh, our legal team is ready to go. Um, but they weren't, and they certainly weren't ready to be going in four different states. So that's why you have morons like Giuliani running around as opposed to when they had uh, Jim Baker uh, in 2000. And Bush was ahead there technically. So it was just about stopping. Whereas Trump is – he has to sort of like reverse things. Like he's, he's not in a position where there's proof that he at any time was winning anything and that it was going – and it was, it was stolen. It just frankly was – it took different amounts of time in different places to count votes. And um, so it looked like you were winning. And then at the end it turned out you didn't because we counted all the votes because it doesn't – work any other way um and that's it that's it sir but i don't think he'll he'll ever um he'll ever acknowledge that you know what i'm saying but anyway the mood in the room it's not like there's this hyper-partisan attitude where where mainstream people in the republican party are like really pushing hard for a coup they're pushing hard to support the president in a lot of ways and saying hey we should count every vote but they know the political wins just aren't in his favor and ultimately that's all that matters in washington they don't care about having loyalty to trump like he thinks everyone should they've all secured their seats Lindsay's fine mitch is fine these guys got what they wanted which is they don't want to have to deal with Trump. They've got all their their judges and they've saved all of their Senate seats. And now these Georgia runoffs, they're probably going to save the Senate. And now they don't have to deal with Trump. They can just, they have Biden and they know they can probably cut a deal with Biden because they've been working with this dipshit for years. And Joe just has presidential uh, derangement syndrome. So he's just been trying to be president for 40 years. And finally, now he's here. I'm like, okay, Joe, you made it. You're great. All right. Now, can you just go do something else? You go, go, just, you know, we'll take care of this from now, Joe, the rest of the. That's what I was getting at, that the seating of both the narrative and these administrative Mm -hmm. seats. And send him to schools to give inspiring fucking messages. Just keep him out there as representing, look, hey, look, white people are. Uh, uh, we're, we're trying to hand over, uh, 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 power and make things more equal. And Joe is the symbol of that. He's the symbol of the last generation of white people saying, Hey, you know, this world is ours together. And we want to give, uh, the rest of people in this country, not just white guys like me, um, and Joe and everybody, um, an opportunity, but everybody. And I mean, I, I wish it was, I wish it didn't have to be an old white guy, but I feel like he's might be the right guy to be like the passing of the baton president. And Kamala yeah, I mean, represents the other side. All, the furthest he's gone so far is allowing uh, progressives to be on advisory committees, but not actually – the people he's putting in charge of his policy, like in right. climate change, came out of oil and gas, and the people in finance came out of Wall Street. He hasn't shown 
And that's what I'm saying. The Democratic Party at the federal level is incredibly fragile right now, in part because right. he's he, he, he might have the rhetoric and he might be kind of making steps there, but he might just, you know, he might not actually believe it's the right way. You know, it's yeah. not always a... No. A, um, There's only so much he's going to be able to do. He's going to cut some kind of deal. Ironically, he's going to be a way better deal cutter than um, than Trump. Trump cut lots of great deals for himself, but I think Biden is actually legitimately interested in cutting a deal for um, the the American people. You know what I mean? That um, the American people uh, were 74 million of them at least have entrusted him to be like, look, you go deal with all this partisan politics. Okay, you you you're the one who says, you know, all of this and you can go fix it. And Donald Trump tried to drain the swamp, but he just made it worse. So go, Joe, you go take care of that. And we'll just get on with our fucking lives. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I, I I just think this is a point where we disagree on. So let's keep going up moving. Um, I don't mean you and I, or people who want to get engaged, but I just mean most people, (laughs) you know, we don't need so many people emotionally wrapped up in who the fucking president is. Oh no, but I mean, in terms of, of him being being able to uh, to cede power to the uh, organizers and and policies that that people supported that actually got him elected. Yeah. Well, the Obama maybe, infrastructure, their their intellectual infrastructure, is returning to power. I know, and that's what that's, I'm saying that's is a major. That's all we're threat. seeing. That's the threat to the Democratic Party, in my mind. Yeah, and a lot of the Obama administration was just vestiges of the Clinton administration. So mm-hmm. we're ba- we're basically getting what the what the voters sort of voted against in 2016, which is they were sick of that. They were yeah, sick or of, sometimes it's that vote. It's like but I'm they given... weren't really sick of Joe. Like they were sick oh, of like Obama Clinton policy, um, the American people, but they weren't necessarily sick of people like Joe. It's just so funny that he represents such like an old school politician guy. And that he's our president. It's, it's just, it's, it's funny and like kind of charming and kind of silly. And everybody knows that he's not going to do it multiple terms, and that there might be very well be a moment where where Kamala just becomes the forty seventh president. And everyone's been saying Joe's going to be the forty sixth president. I don't think that's necessarily true. He might be the end of being the forty eighth because. So um, let's get into a little of the next. Rather, sorry, the forty seventh. Some um, like wild conjectures and speculation of what okay. Trump might do in the next. I don't think he's going to go to the inauguration. I don't think he'll. Do you give... think he's going to resign so that and hoping Pence um, gives him a presidential pardon to avoid some of his impending uh, lawsuits? Uh, if he does, it'll be right at the very end, so that functionally it's meaningless. That he'll Will do he? It. That there might the be a deal States? right at the end that as they're about to get into the motorcade to go to the inauguration, he resigns, takes over the whole media narrative for that day. That basically Joe Biden's about to get sworn in that morning. But that morning, Donald Trump will take over the media narrative by announcing he's he, resigning. And, the Don, and there's some deal, pardoned? whatever the deal he's – because he's doing it right then. <laughs> and, but he and, can't and, get pardoned by Pence if he's he gonna, resigns. Pence is going to do it day. that minute. Oh. So then the next thing – so you're saying he might – so if he does it, it will be the final day. Okay. Right. And will it will be crazy. He, it will put the country into chaos because like everyone will be like, wait, what What do we report on? The new president? The fact, like what's really going on here? He might cause the, the opposite of what everyone thought he would, which is refusing to leave, which is 
leave right before he's supposed to leave and then cutting himself some deal so he gets out of it. So but speaking of leaving, Southern District think, of New York can still get his ass. And that's right, 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 the next question, which is next question we'll talk about later, Will which he is, leave? do we, well, do we go after, do people go after him while we leave, when, when he leaves or will that just turn him to a political Well, they go after him and 10,000 other fucking looters and crooks just like him. But, um, well, I'm all for that. That's for sure. So don't just do the, uh, See, that's the problem with it. A lot of times they do it for the, the publicity stunt of saying, like, look, we went after the corruption. It's like, go after all of them, some of which yeah. are Democrats. You know, all of these in, uh, big corporations that are really just investment houses funneled by Wall Street money made out of thin air. They're not innovators. They don't add value. So go after all of them that are evading taxes, including the Apples and the Microsofts and Googles and all those. But um, back to Trump, though, um, before January 20th, will he leave the United States? Um, I don't think so. I mean, there's people no. who are saying, yeah, he's going to cut a deal, get resign, pardon, and then roll out so the Southern District can't get him. Uh, I think he would go to Saudi Arabia, personally, and live as like some weird sort of lord know. there. Why not like <laughs> the Vanka or... Um, He'll finally fulfill his dream of marrying Ivanka, his daughter. In some oh, country God. where that's like not that's not only allowed, but it's like enforced. He'll find like why the most Saudi Arabia? That's country. interesting. He wouldn't go to Slovenia. I don't know. He'll find whatever the most misogynistic country is, and then he'll go there. Melania he, and him. My thing has... with Melania is that uh, you know how they say that there's a double that Melania's been using a double, and the double is the lady who's been like slapping Trump's hand away and all that kind of stuff. My oh. theory is that Melania has actually fallen in love with her double. And they're going to run oh. off together. So that's, oh, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's another one of my wild predictions. Um, yeah. Okay. And then um, do you think since no one in the military will go along with him, is he going to take to Twitter and just ha- hopefully find someone with the second key for the nuclear football? Oh, nuclear. Well, is he going to do like a war type thing? Well, he needs someone else. I'm saying he's going to take to Twitter trying to find that person. Obviously, that's not going to work. But that would be his last ditch effort. If he felt like he had support in the Pentagon for pulling some shit, he would definitely pull some shit. No, no, this is he has no support. So he takes to Twitter to just, you know, go crazy and be like, someone help me unlock this thing. Oh, (laughs) I don't know. I'm surprised that did all the people, all of the the militia guys with your guns, you guys have all proven to be stupid fucking, you're idiots and or cowards. Because you didn't do shit. You said you guys were all talk. You totally could have staged a coup, you morons, and you didn't do it. Ben and I were so worried that you guys were going to pull this off. And, like, even now, like, Monday morning uh, uh, coach, whatever it's called, a morning, morning, Monday morning uh, uh, quarterback ing by saying, oh, you guys could have totally staged a coup if you just done a couple of things here and there. Um, they just proved, proved how stupid they are, but also, I think, proven or found – by seeing what happened wrong, by seeing not being ready to coordinate, coordinate and deploy um, on the ground within hours of the um, the vote counting, um, and the lack of a legal team to mount any serious defense in the meantime, the 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 Trump legal team, if they were serious about this, they would have been trying to like uh, they would have been knocking on judges' doors trying to get some late night injunction to stop the counting you know what i mean like they did try assumed 
Yeah, you would think they would be they doing it prevail. like at night. You know what I mean? They probably started they a work. long time ago. No, it didn't work. I mean, they've been able, they've been successful. There's going to be some recounts. It's going to be held up. Yeah. And they're still trying to, to, I mean, they're trying to do a modified version of the, the There's going to be strategy. races under, under a half point. You notice that when everybody called Pennsylvania was when it was more than a half point. Basically, they were saying like, you know, all the guys on the air were saying, we have a model, we have a, um, a threshold that once this threshold is passed, we that's when we call a race hasn't been passed yet. And it was clear that it was the half a percentage point, the automatic recount um, percentage point, which is clearly going to happen in Georgia. I think Biden's going to still win Georgia just from what we know about uh, previous elections where there's been recounts and the number of votes that uh, that tend to uh, switch during those recounts, which is usually negligible. Oh, dozens, it's hundreds, maybe. That's why I'm saying. And his lead trying. there is 8,000 or something like that, which is they're a very to... narrow lead. And by the yeah, way, we should trying. point out the black community for coming out in those cities, Atlanta, Savannah, uh, in Georgia, basically saved this country from fucking fascism oh, yeah. and destruction. And like they said at the rally today, thanking especially black women for organizing over the last, especially 10 yes. months. But and Stacey Abrams fi- figuring out how to, how to wage a statewide campaign in Georgia, in the deep South, um, to, to, uh, reach out to, um, the true constituency of the state, which is not, some weird right-wing Trump people. There's a lot of people yeah. there who don't stand for that whatsoever. Exactly. I think she the built, new South is starting to speak and it's going to yeah, take a while. She built a coalition of just amazing organizers and yes. got them focused on, uh, on one goal right and now. And this is the mail-in vote. This is the year of the, this is the year of the black vote. This is the year of the mail-in vote. Um, basically mail-in votes, uh, the black vote saved uh, Joe Biden's ass. Throughout this whole thing, you know, here's this guy who, you know, everyone always said the political class, the pundit class always said, oh, Joe, you know, he's an amiable guy. He could be a good, you know, president. Because like he said, he he looks like that generic president. And he used to look like the generic kind of square jawed, like, you know, sort of handsome looking president. But now he looks like the generic, like old guy president. But the whole time everyone, you know, always thought, oh, you know, he's going to mount a run. But every time they put him on a national ballot, he never, you know, added up to anything. 88. No one wanted to vote for him. 2008, nobody voted for him. And then this year, 2020, during the during the uh, primary, it, it started out exactly the same. Um, and then South Carolina changed it. And suddenly this guy who no one has ever been voting for uh, is winning hands down all of these, these, these races and blowing through Bernie's lead. And mm-hmm. um, now uh, uh, those same voters in places like uh, like Georgia and places like Pennsylvania um, have saved his candidacy and given him a lot of cushion. Like he could have pulled through and, you know, just got Nevada and Arizona, um, you know, could have pulled through and just got Pennsylvania. But I think he'll, he'll expand his, his mandate based on the efforts of, of people uh, who have um, during this horrible time found a way to express themselves um, and, and prove that voting is uh, is not only meaningful, but also easy. Like you can just do it. You just fill it out and you, and you send it in. And that is scaring. This is terrifying conservatives across this country because they know the demographics are against them. And they know that um, the disenfranchisement um, is is their strategy because they're, they're losing the, the you know, um, demographic uh, uh, equation. 
Um, but now they just see, like, well, if everybody just can vote because it's just as easy in modern times as mailing some shit in, that they're fucked, that they're truly fucked, and that the electoral college system doesn't even matter. So this yeah. is going to be huge. This is going to be huge because um, there's going to be fights in places like Georgia to, to try to shut this down because it's been so effective in this race. And these key places like these big cities in, in Pennsylvania and Atlanta. And it has been amazing. It's amazing because for so many years, everybody on the left has been like, we have the votes to not necessarily pass a crazy liberal agenda, but we have enough votes to keep these conservative people uh, who are in charge out of power. We've always had that. We have not always had, and we maybe never will have uh, the political juice in this country, the will to, to really do bold things, you know, like WPA level, um, things to save our country. Uh, but at the very least, there's enough of us to keep the, the hacks, uh, the swamp hacks, like the Bushes out, uh, or also the outside hacks, like the, like the Trumps out. Um, but, but the whole sort of electorate of non-crazy, non-conservative you know, people has been sort of like blocked out by the Electoral College and by gerrymandering. And it's only going to get worse because we did do poorly in, in the state houses. But in these, these cities, we've proven it's easy to vote. And you can do it. And so hopefully going forward, it'll just be the, the disenfranchisement won't matter because people will just get it in the fucking mail in time and it'll just happen. It'll be easy. Yeah. It'll be fun. But I think one, but one important thing is that I, I, the only part I disagree with is that the mandate for something like the WPA or even more so is there. And that's what I'm saying is the fundamental misreading of the current democratic establishment that those supposedly, whether you want to call them progressive causes or not, are supported by people who also vote Republican sometimes too. And that by not ceding right. to those and making those part of the platform, even if they don't get through the Senate say, yeah. but if you don't fully get behind them, that's what can undermine the credibility of the people serving in a party and the party itself. And what can create, like we've seen a lot of times, you know, like we saw in 2010, most recently, a complete reversal of fate because everything that people said they wanted, they voted for, they were given basically two options and they voted for, for one of them. It doesn't. And so it's, you know, you have to go a lot deeper than just who someone voted for. And that's where I think the, the very insular back room, back room nature of uh, the federal level of the democratic party is failing us and loses um, those midterm mid midterm elections because of uh, consistently not, underperform. Consistently underperform. Yeah, they lose when they're supposed really, to like, lose. Not realizing that they have the mandate to do these things. Yes, and they even lose if when they're supposed done, to lose. If you don't, if you don't turn it as part of your narrative, yeah. you lose credibility and you lose and even when they're supposed to and win, motivation. Even when they're supposed to win, they lose or they underperform. This year, I would say, you know, if if their majority had been any slimmer, they would have been fucked because, you know, they net lost seats, although they narrowly are holding on to the lower lower chamber. Um, but and now there's just this huge internal squabble and they had their big family meeting um, in the past couple of days, the Democrats between the squad and the more left wing side and, and then the more uh, centrist side, who I would say are more aligned with. 
Biden and his his allies. So let's just walk ourselves through all of the major issues of the day and a possible compromise that we think might be reasonable. So let's start with let's start with something like COVID. What is the to get a funding bill through to help businesses? What is the the compromise that you think that that we think that Joe Biden might be able to broker? Um. It's a tough question, but let's give it a shot. Well, they'll be able to do just more of what's been done. And so that's why I keep saying the important thing is the narrative use. If you go in saying that we had this big win, that's different than saying we, we stood up for these things that the vast majority of you want, and we were thwarted by uh, the counterparty, the counterforce. But if you go in and you say, oh, we want to do this kind of half-assed Wall Street-led recovery. And then that's what happens. People aren't stupid. They see what happens. If that's what you say. And and then you say, Oh, I wanted to be bigger. It's like, well, you know, a, a lot of people have come of age since 2008 and 2000, 2001 and 2008. And so they're not idiots and they'll see right through it. And so it's going to be a compromise. It would be similar to what was done in 2008, what was done this year. And it's going to make It'll have a short-term positive impact, but it still cedes even more power to monopolies in Wall Street, which has a, a, a medium sure. and long-term negative impact. So that's what the compromise will be. But it won't come across as seeming like a compromise unless the Biden administration actually starts using a narrative that actually shows like, these are the things that we tried to do and we were thwarted in these ways, instead mm-hmm. of always okay. being like, oh, you know, we, we came together and we made this great this great move. You're not going to, you're not going to keep conning people. No, you're not thinking that's going to happen. Um, but you know, let's say, let's say in COVID, um, we're trying to get a, a a stimulus bill. Uh, I think Biden's best shot is to propose something perhaps through executive action, basically put together an exploratory committee or exploratory, you know, whatever with an executive executive order to look into what, um, a, uh, concerted effort to, um, um, actually uh, provide the testing and contact tracing that we need um, and um, that it should include both stimulus funds for businesses, contact tracing um, for businesses, um, but also tax relief for those businesses. Um, and then actually um hold the Republicans to the fire and say, come out aggressively, aggressively saying that we want to lower taxes on the middle class and the working class and the lower class. Aggressively make that their issue. That yeah, or this is also the time to say universal health care and possibly yes. even some form of universal basic income and universal daycare Exactly. Debt relief. Those are the those key. are, I mean, polls only tell you so much, but when you have 60 to 80% of people polled saying they're in favor of something, you can be pretty sure you can put your eggs in that basket and not lose a lot of credibility. But will he go, will he put those forward is a huge if, and it's not looking likely. Maybe he'll, he'll do like an option. He'll always do the public option, which doesn't work for some of these. It works for banking. You want a public option in banking. You don't want a pure like Soviet model or Chinese where you have just one thing. 
But for something like healthcare, daycare, debt relief, it needs to be not an option, but just what is done. And so go out strong because those are obviously supported by not just one party or the other when you have such huge um, opinion polls over and over of people with both in both parties. Go out with those. And then the compromise would be something that happens. But if you don't go out with those, 2022 is going to be a fucking shit show and it's just going to be terrible. Yeah, um, 2022, Biden's going to spend the next two years trying to broker a compromise. It's not really going to get much done. COVID will get a little better. Our international credibility will return to a certain extent. But domestic legislation is going to be rough. He might get a Supreme Court seat, probably not. Then midterms will happen, Democrats... I don't think it's going to be a slaughter, but it's not going to be good. Mm-mm. It's certainly not going to take back the Senate. Um, Mitch was rerunning, so we got Mitch for another six years. Let's face that. Um, so by the time Biden's done, Mitch is still in power for another two years. Um, so, yeah, since his he'll, he'll probably lose Congress in those midterms, then the next two years will just be him blocked from doing anything. And frankly, even if a, a seat pops up in those last two years, they're going to be hypocrites again and not give it to him. So I see that as the overall trajectory of the Biden administration if he sort of proceeds as I assume he would. Or he really goes balls to the wall, all in, and says, this is our bold plan to save the country and does a w- WPA-type infrastructure thing. Um and tries to build it around some sort of like common consensus, like, hey, working class people, technical class people, um, startup class people, let's all work together to heal our nation's infrastructure in the same way we want to heal its soul. And I think that fundamentally is probably his best bet. Otherwise, he's just going to get slaughtered and knocked around the whole time. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm afraid of, that he'll the narrative will will start from this compromise that wasn't his mandate. He'll say it was his mandate, but his mandate was uh, what I had said earlier in the, our program. And so if you don't have, I mean, narrative is important, obviously, and what your policies that you stand for are important, especially when you have paralysis or dysfunction in, or just inability to get it. So there's a lot of also, and then it'll also be interesting to see if he, uses a lot of the powers vested into his office. Like David, no, it was in the American Prospect uh, a couple weeks ago, I think, put together 277 policies that uh, the office of the president can go, can put into effect without having to go through Congress. And some of them are pretty, like he could bring back postal banking. Um, there's, there's all sorts of things he can do on climate change, on immigration, on healthcare. On, postal um, banking is a great idea, I think. Yeah, so a lot of these things can be done very easily. And so that's part of where you can regain credibility with uh, the base and just with people who have maybe left the party or kind of just left voting because they're like, you know what? I can't stand being misled and lied to over and the over credibility again. Credibility of done. the government itself. Credibility of the idea that government exactly. can do something. Like going to the post office is not a pain in the ass. Going to the post office, you can... Get your bank, get your check, cash from work, and have to pay some stupid ass fucking 
fines and fees. Exactly. And that can be done on and day have one. have the post office in general be a hub for getting help with the, with the um, yeah. needs of the, of the populace. Exactly. And these are why, most of these 277 policies, I looked through all of them, are generally uh, supported by a, a lot of people. And, you know, it's not him doing them. It's appointees, it's bureaucrats, it's other people. But if you don't make that the mandate from your office, then it doesn't get done. We still have that structure. And so it's not like he has to develop all these plans. They're already developed. Um, you just have to say that this is what we're going to do. And then he can try to broker and negotiate, uh, legislative gains, things like that. Like he's obviously not going to bring back, rein in the powers of the Supreme court or fundamentally shift the structure of the Senate, but he could say that these are some of our long-term strategies and it's the obstruction of the GOP that's doing it, but they're not playing, they're not playing uh, they're, they're just it's not really about playing dirty or not it's it's just not speaking truth to people and people aren't idiots they see what's going on and so you know that rhetoric of the do nothing party the do nothing democrats will continue and if you at least don't stand up for what you believe in it's very hard to in in an election cycle say that that's not true and have credibility when you're talking to someone and you're like, Oh yeah, nothing was done. I don't, I don't see. So it's not always about actually being able to affect the change, but having that narrative is vitally important. Yeah. And the Democrats so will have he allow no, that to happen. Democrats have no credibility. That's what the I Republicans mean. Republicans at least have the credibility of jamming their fucking court appointees. Exactly. Whatever so is that going to change? That's what I'm saying is the big variable. Will, will the Biden campaign, and his administration Probably not, but maybe. start passing the mic off to at the base. I haven't seen any signs of it yet. It's just advisory positions, not real positions, and obviously not framing what he was saying. So, but you know, he's an old guy. He's a he is that grandpa figure, like you said. Maybe he's had an epiphany, and maybe if he he's sworn in on January twentieth. Uh, it's not for lack of knowing that these that. You know, he, the, a lot of progressives have his direct ear or one step removed. So maybe something will change with him. We got to hold out hope. And if not, you know, you know, hold out hope and keep staying active. Like we can't just hope it happens. We got to be speaking it every day, but you know, we're sitting here chatting right now. We can just be hopeful that something will change on January 21st when he wakes up. I certainly hope so. And Joe yeah. seems dedicated to give it a shot. And more importantly than that, give the right people in the room a shot to do their jobs. So hopefully on these issues, there are enough people in the room um, representing some of the views that previously the Democratic Party hasn't been interested in um, following. But let's keep our hopes and our expectations adjusted. You know what I mean? Because odds are we're going to see more of the same. I mean, early on in the Obama administration, I was like, all right, hey, we're going to see hope and change. Like, no, it just kind of looked like the Clinton administration. Uh, exactly. Uh, and we'll get the very first glimpse very quickly on, on, you said, the COVID relief bill. If it's designed by Wall Street execs and 
um, high financiers and people from insurance were basically sh- he's showing us that that's what he believes in. And yeah, the lobbyists are going to be all over that legislation, whatever. Right. But, but if you don't appoint people that came from that, people that come from that world, that's how they understand the world. If he needs to put in different people to actually, so they can lobby, but let's say Bernie was our secretary of treasury. He's going to say, fuck you to the wall street people and listen to the people who actually know what the fuck's going on. Um, and how, what finance means beyond just numbers on a screen and making as much money as possible for myself and my cronies. But if he puts in place somebody that came out of Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan, that lobbying effort is going to be, you know, those are the people that are being invited for lunch every day to hash out the plan and write sections of it. And the sections written by all of the different financial reform, uh, environmental justice, social justice movements that also know exactly how these things work will just be thrown into the waste bin. So that's going to be a huge, that's going to be our first indication because the COVID relief bill uh, is going to be first up, obviously. Yeah. So who's writing it? Who's running it? And who who are they listening to? I just think he's going to be kind of grossly deferential to Mitch McConnell, and I hope he proves me wrong. Because they're uh, old friends yeah. who've worked together for years. Um, well, you could have... Um, really big disputes with old friends. And I think that there's a time for that. So let's get into um, the political reckoning and specifically the legal reckoning for Donald Trump, Trump world, his cronies, his his family, et cetera. And I just kind of want to know what your views are on prosecuting Trump, going after Trump. I know that there's a, a number of cases going on um, like in the Southern District District of New York, um, that he can't be pardoned from because they're state cases or local cases or whatever. Um, do you think that the attorney general, the attorney general's office of the Biden administration, is going to say, "Hey, you have our full support to go forward with these cases, and uh, in fact, we'll give you resources and help," or is whomever's running Biden, Biden's attorney general attorney general's office saying, "Hey, you know what?" back off Trump. We don't want to set this precedent of looking like we're going after former political uh, opponents, which it wouldn't be, which it wouldn't be, but they don't necessarily want to set that precedent. So when, you know, Don Trump Jr. comes in, he doesn't just immediately get his attorney general's office to go after Biden or whatever, or whomever the next person is. So yes, the latter is what's going to happen. They're not going to want to see as vindictive and what they're not, this is another thing where they're not going to listen to the more um, broadly supported yeah. issues. So basically, you need the I think IRS. Just stay out of it. I think that they'll let. No, the but the way history. to stay out of it and not make it vindictive is is restaff the IRS and SEC, which have been wildly underfunded and underdeputized for starting with Reagan and straight through to Good Obama. Good luck with Trump. that, man. No, that but I'm saying is... that's the way to depoliticize it. But he's not gonna. Yeah, no well, way, the no, thing no. is, he he doesn't necessarily need to put it forward. What he does is the appointees that uh, whose task it is and responsibility to to oversee those uh, departments. Who is he going to choose there? And that's where it'll be very instructive. If he chooses someone else again that comes out of Wall Street or high finance, it's just going to be a lot of the same. And then people following this in financial reform movements who talk to people in social justice and environmental justice 
they'll know right off the bat that it's a bunch of fucking hot air. And again, yeah. it diminishes the credibility. But if he puts into somebody who, who realizes that it's obviously can't happen in four years, but you gain credibility if you actually start that process. Yeah, put the pieces um, in place to actually solve exactly. Some of Bring we don't someone in. Biden to, we don't expect Biden to like do everything for us. We just no, no, no. But it's who we put in the stage. Yeah, because we know the we, the estimate right now is about three hundred billion dollars a year is left uncollected and owed taxes. The yeah. vast majority of which is from uh, people with ten million dollars or more. But the thing is, it's much easier and cheaper to audit poor people. And so if you look Mm. at the most amount of audits per capita, it's actually in some counties in Alabama, I believe, or Mississippi. Because basically the apparatus to do audits of very rich people, which obviously there's just a lot of convoluted legal structures they use, you need staff and resources. And you can just look at the chart of the amount of staff in the enforcement department it's gone down by about 60% over the last 35 years, while the country is what, more than doubled and the number of people over 10 million is more than quadrupled. So basically it's completely inverted and you, we don't have, I think there's one in every, what is it, less than 1% or is it 2% of uh, files, individuals that should be audited based on red flags that actually get audited and it's yeah. not because people don't want to do it at the IRS. It's that they don't have the they've got like a staff time. of, I think it used to be before Reagan, I think there were 40,000 people in the enforcement division. Today, there's like 17,000. And that's when the population is doubled and the number of people over 10 million is like quadrupled. So it's like you've got a third of the resources and you have to do almost 10 times as much work because the world's also gotten more convoluted. So it's just absolutely impossible. So, but if you, and, and so people in pushing for financial reform that work with all the justice-based organizations know these things and they're very easy to see. So if you don't start that process of rebuilding that, that muscle, you lose credibility when you say, oh, we're trying to, to do all these things, but they're not letting us. It's like, no, you're not letting yourself because we know who you put in power and you're not doing it. So don't bullshit us. Stop lying to us. You're a fucking... <laughs> You know, <laughs> piece of shit. Now I'm so, hearing the bend back from the beginning of this uh, this primary, um, the selection of the primary. We're back oof. where we began, except yeah. Bernie's uh, Bernie's uh, never going to make it. Uh, but that's okay. A new Bernie will rise. Someone who uh, has better hair, I guess. We just need we need dynamic dynamic women to to take the field here. And yeah, I think we're, we're and people that, that to a certain extent. Um, I, yeah. I, I think that in a brutal and sexist world, politics has been particularly brutal and sexist to any woman who has dared to enter um, enter that sphere. And although I was not a big fan of Hillary Clinton, um, you know, she did inspire me as a young person. You know, when I saw her as a, a, a strong woman, you know, trying to do something uh, for the country, um, and I just want to acknowledge that. Um, Voting out Donald Trump and specifically uh, uh, bringing a, a, a woman, the first vice president who has been a woman uh, 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 into the White House and, and uh, into that position is a, a huge transformative thing that we need to acknowledge. And I, I try not to get too wrapped up into identity politics, but I think it's something we should acknowledge because there's no way we could ever feel what that feels like. 
You know. No, totally. And there's two aspects always. There's this structural things that need to be done, but people do choose role models and we tend to choose role models that, that look like us. Yeah. So if you don't have people that look different in different positions of power, it's much harder to reach people. Yes. But you can't just obviously do it based on what you look like um, or have that cult of personality because then you forget that it also that there's plenty of people that look one one way but don't necessarily agree with you. You might have nothing in yeah. common with them. But it's it's both those things. And so we need that. Um, and that's been a huge breakthrough um, or transition, obviously, that started before either of us were born but continues. And it's, it's a great one to see. Um, oh, yes. one thing I was thinking of yesterday, I was listening to a, a talk radio in, I think the host was in California interviewing somebody in Georgia. So California talk show host interviewing someone on the ground in Georgia. Question, okay. why is it taking so long to count all the ballots? Percentage of votes counted uh, by state. Guess who's in last place? California. Wow. Or Alaska, sorry. They're oh. at 50%. <laughs> California hasn't called the race as of this report. Well, they've only counted half the votes. But California, <laughs> 66%. Asking Georgia with at then 98% counted, why is it taking so long? Yeah, it just, it's one of those things that I love about California, the land of hypocrisy in some ways. Yeah. Asking these oh questions, God, why is it taking votes. you so long to do something? We have a shit ton of votes when there's a bunch of shit on the fucking ballot. Yeah, <laughs> I thought about that, but we also have more people, so more people could be counting it. So it doesn't really That's matter. That's true. I, I volunteered, just, I I volunteered that. and nobody fucking yeah, I tried to too, responded but it's to like, the multiple times I, just, I tried. I just found it very funny that it's like, why is it taking so long? Wait a second. You're so far behind us. So that's kind of a weird question. I'm only pissed that it's – I mean I, I'm only pissed. Once we saw the trajectory of the count, I wasn't particularly worried. I was just pissed that it took this long. I was hoping that it would just be an easy night on Tuesday. Despite so all of my doom and gloom predictions, long, which were that Trump's probably going to win, and if he doesn't, he's going to st- try to stage a coup. Uh, and he did try. He's still it. trying. And I think trying there's just a fundamental – yeah, he just didn't think – here's the thing. He you, didn't oh, so think he would be on the defensive. Question. He didn't think he would be on the defensive. He think he thought that this would be about stopping the counting of votes while he was ahead, and he could not mount a legitimate enough legal uh, uh, offense or defense or however you want to put it before he slipped out of the lead. He tried, but yeah. there was nothing there. They did not have exactly. the legal team set up because their only strategy i mean they had a legal team but the only strategy was just to gum up the works there was no exactly. there was no so national think, strategy across multiple states i don't think that they they thought it would it all come down to that his whole it was just such a weird bet you know he he told his his followers don't vote early don't yeah, vote by that, mail that, do str- it the I mean, hard the way thing, at the last minute and we've seen exactly what that means which is hey you get a lot of people vote on that day uh, but everybody else who's sending in their ballots, well, it's all these people from the city. There's more of them, and they mailed in their ballots. And it doesn't matter that you got all of these people out of out of their their houses to to vote, because everybody already sent them in, and now they're they're counting them. So, and the, the stuff that's like come in afterwards, or all the the disputed votes, it's not close enough that those even really fucking matter. So, there's really nothing to stop, nothing to do. He slipped out. You know, um, he slipped out of the lead before he had a chance to to take the narrative on um, and and deploy his army of, of people to actually get out there and, and do that. I'm very proud that there was not more disruptions in the street, that everybody was very um, 
It was very calm. And um, yeah, I think that the people have proven to be peaceful and the people who we thought were, were going to be aggressive, I think they've just proven to be, to be cowards and uh, uncoordinated because <laughs> there was 72 hours there where there could have been a coup in our country. Um, but I think that Biden was, was briefed by the, the, the uh, uh, military um, class as was, as we know that the, the, the media was. Um, and I think that the people sort of did their jobs here so far. People counted the votes who were supposed to count the votes. The cops who were supposed to be there to, to stop um, anybody from tinkering, tinkering with that, they were there. They prevented these, these whack jobs in their Hummer with their AR-15s who were trying to, to bring fake votes or something um, to a polling yeah. station. Well, remember, like you said earlier, too, that, I mean, at the end of the day, most people are pretty lazy. You're not going to... Even if you're oh, it's just funny. People, people are like, all talk. They're not really cowards. They're just like, it's not worth it. They're just the all talk. The point. They all think... Everyone gets riled up online thinking... Uh, in these groups thinking that there's some huge mass of people out there that are willing to do this because they see it in the, you know Charlottesville or something. But when it actually comes down to actually doing something and having a strategy, it seems like no yeah, one is really able to do that. Everyone is so reactive and defensive. There isn't like what we saw in Hitler's time, people with like specific street tactics that they were using to, to take over the cities. And I, I think that's the thing is that these people don't have the type of upper hand in the cities that they would need to really stage something like we were worried about. I think that that's no, exactly. what we're going to see. Um, yeah. And if so there were races think, that came down oh, more to local levels, we'd be talking with smaller police forces, with uh, you know worse transportation infrastructure to get people in and out if something really goes down. I think there's more of a, you know, like let's say that there's some sort of close governor's race um or you know even in 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 georgia this this runoff race that's going to happen there's more likelihood when things are close at that level that some of these militias might make moves that could affect the vote and really this division along <laughs> um police and communities and the military and civilians and, and, and all of that is really gonna uh, there's gonna be some friction there and I think that what we're at right now is one where we have to define what it means to be in uniform, because I think that it was mostly seen as a, you know, an honor or at least a responsibility. Uh, and, and now I think we're not so clear as to what that means, because we don't know what the sort of soul of our nation, to, to quote President-elect Biden, who keeps talking about this, the race as though he called it the, the battle for the soul of the nation. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, I, I I don't know. Um, it seems as though um, that is going to be one of the places where that battle for the soul of the nation is going to occur. What does it mean to 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 wear that uniform? Um, and uh, I hope that we get to a place where where police um, are there to actually do what the Second Amendment. Um, is there to do, which is to have a, a, a militia force basically in your communities to protect the community from tyranny, not to terrorize the community based um, or at least along racial demographic lines. So, yeah, anyway, so there's he's going to, I mean, basically, we're going to see a, a petulant 
old man flailing, trying to convince uh, mainly guys, but some women in, in three or four states uh, who hold state level positions to put for, forward a different a slate of electors, basically, yeah. or not a faithless, a different slate, and hope that then uh, Congress can use some of its shenanigans to throw the whole thing to the House, yeah, and then Republicans would do their state level mark. It's just like. There's yes. four steps there, but the first one is because like they have more states, convince, even though they don't have more votes or congressmen. Right, but it's like the, the first step is just can totally he convince, insane, but true. can he convince some state legislators to go against the the vote in their state and the governor uh, and put forward this second slate? And it's like, and it doesn't have to just be one state; it would have to be both Georgia and Pennsylvania. Or three other states. I, I don't think the two. political winds no, are blowing that way. I think no, no, they're certainly not. But I'm saying that's his. That's what they're trying right now. And I'm saying it takes. It's first. It, it's a multi-step process, and they knew this all along. That's why they were trying to do in the first 72 hours. Take, and they failed. Let's say, but let's let's say that approach was happening. So the best you could do. Okay, so Arizona. That's probably Republicans um, and. Uh, uh, Georgia. Let's say if Georgia and Arizona send faithless electors, if Biden has Pennsylvania, it still doesn't matter. Biden's going to win Pennsylvania, so that doesn't matter. Um, I don't know what the state house looks like in that. What, what do they fucking call it? The blue wall. But I, I don't think that you're going to find a partisan uh, legislature that's hacky enough in the Midwest to pull that off. Well, so the thing you is, you might Georgia, see that in a place like Georgia. So, Joe, but you know, the thing is, in both, but in I don't Wisconsin, think it's going to happen because they've actually been sort of behaving themselves in these. No, I know. That's what, I, I'm not saying whether it's happening, I'm saying that's a strategy. So, it'd be in Wisconsin where you have Republican control of the legislature, but not the governor. Um, yeah. So, that's Georgia ten, and Pennsylvania all have it, and, and Arizona too. So, it's like that's where they're trying. But that doesn't mean that they'll even get to step one, which no. is putting forward a, a second slate of electors, which is, well, I guess the next step is trying to completely um, under, undermine the recount in yeah. two or maybe three Unfortunately, states. Unfortunately, this is always going to be kind of like a stained election, not for any legitimate reason, just because there's going to be millions and millions of people who do not see it as legitimate. Oh, yeah. Straight it's up. already, I mean, I just looked at, at Trump's Twitter today. It was, I won. Yeah. He's he was trying to be a know. demagogue, but he didn't, and he could have done it. It's so silly. He he could have done it, uh, well, and that's no, what I'm worried yeah. about. Someone else is learning these lessons. Someone else is saying, "Hey, exactly. let's use mail-in ballots." <laughs> you know, and that's why I think something like the fairness doctrine, which we're going to get back to when we start our talk radio, one of our missions, it's that if we continue allowing people to live in echo chambers, it's a uh, it's a uh, has very bad outcomes over generations. If you're only yeah, hearing so. One 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 thing, one perspective. And I've been it's not reading just for I've people that reading the Daily Stormer the past. Right. But it's also remember, it's also for and watching Fox News, everything that uh, it's that side which is the most dangerous. But then you have the liberal side which rejects people based on without ever trying to understand where they're coming from, which creates a, a feedback a loop. So it's not just one side needs to hear more; it's that all sides do. Um. You can't also have people just living in their little liberal bubbles either. 
Oh, Biden um, and Harris are about to address the nation. Should we listen? Uh, maybe we should. Should we sign off? Is this? No, no, no. We can. I can pull it in. Why don't I just pull it in live here? The, the feed. Um. So yeah, but I mean, the, just the narrative is that Biden has won because Biden did win. There's no sort of prevailing wins uh, politically in, in the Republican Party, um, or um, or uh, in, in terms of the media narrative. Like, there's no big outlet saying, "Oh, you know, this is still in question." You know what I mean? He doesn't really have control. Uh, exactly. Let's see what's going on at the Biden HQ. Talking about uh, the fact that at the end. Oh, of this all is just the CNN feed. That's Abby Phillip calling. Uh, talking. Abby Phillip has been doing amazing, uh, amazing reporting on CNN this whole time. We have uh, Biden and Harris uh, are not speaking yet, but we have the feed pulled up. So, should they hop on, we can um, we can watch the speech and, and, and I can we can listen here. Um, so, what else do we have for today? Or should we? Um... Well, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, there's the 70 million people who who still voted for for Trump and what that means. There's the whole talk about the national popular vote and, and is something that that's something that's going to happen and how it can happen at the state level. And actually my dad, uh, he has a friend, Barry Fadham, who was involved with the national, he's a lawyer involved with the national popular vote uh, initiative and actually argued in front of the Supreme court um, for various uh, issues related to going to states and getting enough that adds up to 270 who will agree to go with the national popular vote to basically send their electors for the national whomever wins the national popular vote because if you get enough states that add up to 270 or more then the electoral college doesn't matter you see what i'm saying mm -hmm. so um yeah barry fadham he's a family friend so we should actually get him on and talk to him um because oh it looks like the motorcade's showing up the motorcade, man. Biden's got his own motorcade. Wow, President Biden. It's so silly and boring. But anyway, so yeah, now this guy, he ends up getting you know more votes than anybody in history. This guy who couldn't get any fucking votes and suddenly he gets four votes, not only for anyone for president, but just anyone for anything. No one has ever voted. Everyone always says, oh, most votes for the president. But like, no one, there hasn't been any elections bigger than this, have there? Yeah. No, that's this the thing. The most Our population for. 16 million people come of voting age every four years. It's cool. 80 million people, people under 18. And yeah, sure, Joe got those votes, but I think those 75 million people, I don't think that represents just Joe Biden. I think that represents the voice of all of those tens of millions of people, the historic number of people exactly. say. And, and I hope that, that some of, or at least some of the 70 million who uh, voted for, for Trump, that it's not based on some racist thing, or they've somehow been convinced that it, that he's not racist and he's not horrible. Yeah. Um, no, my guess is like there might be my get you know, 30 million people, which is less than 10% of the US, where it's hardcore. You know, very hardcore. But then the rest it's that learned over time of normalizing a lot of things and then only hearing yeah. very uh minimal numbers of perspectives and just being convinced of this is the way the world is. And then a lot of it, I think, starts from uh, grains of truth of things like, you know, they stole your jobs. The they yes. isn't the same they that Trump says, but there was a they. The they's were yes. the corporate bosses and the investors, not, right. you know, not the, the black people or the immigrants, but there was a they. 
And so it's, it's that, it's that resentment that starts growing from a place of actual um, loss or despair or something. So it's not completely. And so then, but then it's very easy to just drudge up those, um, you know, as a, I can't remember his name said, white supremacy is not the shark, it's the water. And so it's the breeding ground that we haven't ever really uh, fixed, that we've never really addressed. We've never reckoned with our history. So it's very easy just to, to fall back on generations and generations of, of something that's just been normalized, which we call white supremacy. Yep. And then just say, you know, like they're, they're, they're taking it from you and I'm going to stand up for you. And, yes. you know, and that's what Trump is saying by saying that this election right. is stolen because who's it being stolen by people in the cities in Georgia that he, he's, I'm not saying it's being stolen by these people, but people in Savannah, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, um, over in Pennsylvania, these are people from the inner cities in our country. Yeah. Uh, these so are black and brown what, people. So when he's saying they are stealing it, he's saying the black and brown people, not only they're stealing your job, they're stealing Trump's job. They're stealing the presidency. They're stealing, they're doing, that exactly. is the narrative that he's sending. And that's, that's how the, demagogues rise. You take a truth and you combine it with a historical thing that yeah. is an ill of a society and you mash them together and you create half truths, just blatant lies, but then you uh, provoke all those latent sentiments and you just keep on prodding at them day after day after day. Yeah. And after a while, you don't even know. And so, yeah, there is, and this is not like in it, it, it's so let's, we'll get back to this at another episode. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm glad that you hit the streets today. Um, I see all the parties and I've been watching all the, the celebration on social media and all the news networks and watching everybody's fun memes and posts. And it's just, I'm not a get revenge, Schottenfreuder kind of guy, but I mean, it is very satisfying to know that like Donald Trump somewhere is like just truly humiliated. <laughs> I mean, just utterly in a way that I don't think any of us can, can possibly fathom humiliated. Because for Trump, like, no, it, not someone like notch an L in our lives. Look, we're all we're all used to things not going our way. You know, um, we're all used to to losing and, and and you know and and winning and you know we we take it like you know we'll take it like a man or a woman. We'll we'll take it like an adult. You know, um, so if any of us lost the presidency, I think we would be able to handle it. There's all been time, always been times where we've lost out on something that we really wanted um, and didn't go our way. And so I think that most of us would be able to, to deal with that. But for him, this is such the most stinging, horrible thing to be a loser and labeled a loser and one of the greatest losers, a truly historic loser uh, for the rest of his, his life is, is, is more painful to someone like Donald Trump than I think it could be even to someone like- Well, for sure. Because in the political realm, it's different. In the business realm, yeah. the way he- brought up loss was by suing people, intimidating them, and then always feeling like he won. And that doesn't work get. here. Here you can't do that. Because he's, he's suing the individual, because he's suing the places, he's suing the states. Well, he's not going to, but I'm saying when he's out of office, what, yeah. what then it turns to is just that like vitriol and the continuation of speaking to his cult followers, which we're yes. going to, you know, it's not going to be all 70 million. I think a lot no, of them really. No. A lot of so people just want to go back to work or yeah. their stock portfolios were fine. Yeah, which is uh, yeah. and I, I think Joe Biden will be able to calm the market 
I think we might not see some of the crazy highs that we saw with the Trump stock market, but I think we'll see a degree of stability that will allow us as a nation to sort of chart out what it is we are doing and, and how much we're, we're worth. I don't think that we necessarily want to just destroy capitalism. I, I, I think that we should reevaluate the way that we look about look at the the great wealth that we have in the United States and how it is it is represented. In, in, in right, but one reason stuff might keep going up is they know that Biden has made a promise not to do anything about of Wall Street's power. Yeah, and that's and, why we shouldn't uh, have to rely on the presidency. And I, I hopefully this is the big lesson out of all of this. The other night, Joe Biden came out and he had he had a couple things to say. Hey, they're still counting. Everything's going to be good. We just got briefed on Corona, so we're, we're figuring out what's going on. We'll see you later. Bye. And it was just nice to have the president just lay it out and then kind of disappear. And it's not that we don't want the president to be doing anything. We just don't need to hear about it. And we certainly don't need to hear grievance. Obama was treated horribly. We never heard any grievance from Obama. Name one time Obama ever complained about the way he was treated. Now, granted, he Trump is does not re- receive the kind of praise from the the media class that Obama uh, experienced. Quite the opposite, but this is earned. You know, Obama. A lot of people trust and love him, uh, including those in the press. So that's earned. Uh, a lot of people hate and despise Donald Trump. So his the way he's treated by the media is is earned as well. Um, and you know, I don't know if we'll get our you won't have Nixon to kick around anymore. Uh, moment. You ever seen that clip of Nixon? So Nixon loses mm-hmm. in sixty, and then he lose, and then he runs for governor in California in sixty two, and he loses to Pat Brown, and um, gives that famous speech at the I guess it was the the Hyatt or the the Hilton, the Hilton. I think it's the Hilton in Cal, somewhere in Southern California, and you know he says, you know, this will be my last press conference, uh, but think of everything you'll be missing. You won't have Nixon to kick around anymore. And his thing that he called, he was basically calling out uh, fake news. Nixon said, you know, I'd appreciate it if you put one guy, one reporter on the, on the trail that will cover what the candidate actually says. And of course, we all know six years later, he, um, he made it to the White House and then um, conducted the greatest electoral um, uh, landslide in, 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 in quite a while. Um, Part of it was because he, he stole, you know, you could say he stole the election with Watergate. But I think the irony of Watergate is that Nixon probably would have sailed to re-election anyway. And I think that is the elephant in the room here, um, which is without COVID, Trump would have sailed to re-election. I really think so. Because um, we're seeing these narrow margins. Um and I think there's a lot of people who were just so disgusted. Enough people were so disgusted by the way Trump's handled this um, that they they just had to bail. But if everyone's mm-hmm. portfolios were doing well and the tax season was looking like it was going to be good and um, you know everything was was going okay economy wise, um, I think he would have he would have sailed to re-election because I think that. Uh, the same media that uh, uh, made him such a thing that we all have to follow um, is ultimately <sighs> the same media that will be responsible for um, 
for the reckoning <laughs> that's going to inevitably happen afterwards because the whole pundit class is just proven to be to be um totally ineffectual and moronic and mm -hmm. uh talk radio man that's what we gotta we're gonna get into it but where it's at yeah um so anyway anything else we want to discuss looks like the the president-elect's about to come out so we should probably uh, uh listen to what uh, uh soon to be president uh biden <laughs> let's try to remember his first name joseph robinette biden isn't that nice to be able to be like oh wait who's the president jo uh joe biden right that's right joseph robinette biden uh uh, well, you let me know. what I'm going to read the transcript afterward. You let me know what he says. Let me let me know what he says. Okay. I just, you know, look, here's why I've been going so crazy about this. I just love history, specifically presidential history. And so it drove me, it was just driving me crazy that I wasn't going to know what this grand narrative was going to be. <laughs> like, what was this chapter going to be? Was it about the rise of fascism or was it about this strange, tragic man, Donald Trump, who tried to destroy America, you know, but it was really about his own fall. <laughs> Uh, mm -hmm. And fortunately, it seems as though it is going to be the latter. And I think that there's, this is, he is one of the crazy, tragic figures of our, our time. I don't mean tragic as in we should feel bad for him because he's a horrible, no, like Greek horrible tragedy, person. Tragedy. But yes, like Oedipal uh, tragedy. Yeah. And I think that's why people voted for Trump is because they want that kind of palace intrigue from their their leaders. Because Here's the difference between when you talk to like the real red meat of the, the base on the Republican side. They don't talk about Trump as their leader. They talk about him as their ruler. Mm. Ruler. Especially these alt-right guys. They call him their ruler. Um, and so in a ruler, people, they want to see this kind of stuff. But the only thing that people love more than the rise of these people is they want to see their fall. I think the American people wanted to see Donald Trump knock all of these political hacks over that yeah, whole field on the Republican side and Hillary Clinton and make this case that these guys are the swamp. I've been manipulating them for years because, you know, I, 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 I give them all money. So you should just put me in charge because I have great businesses and I'm funny. And it fucking mm -hmm. worked. You know, in 2016, I was by people. Across. The only thing that people wanted to see more than that is to see his fall because that's even more entertaining than seeing all the other people fail because of him is that to then see him fail. So I think yeah, the American people to, got exactly what they wanted. They got both stories. They got the rise and the fall of Trump. But even though congratulations that everybody. for him both times wanted that. Like when I was biking across the country, I only overheard a few conversations, but it wasn't the diehard Trump cult followers. It was the people who thought you know, not totally incorrectly that a lot of what was going on in politics at the federal level was a joke, or at least what the Democrats were saying. So yeah. they didn't believe a word, you know, I heard snippets here and there. They didn't believe a word Trump was saying, but they thought it was funny that they, that he was getting under their um, skin, the dynastic skin of the, the, the Clintons and the others. And the, the yeah, I loved it too. So they, and so the the, the fall, they probably, like you said, though, they funny. probably want to, they want to see the fall. And I think our big challenge uh, or our real test is, can we continue to keep um, this, you know, the fascism here would, for lack of a better word, be our history with, it would be the white supremacy. Can we keep it in uh, the background? Like you never, you're not going to get rid of it entirely. Uh, right. But will it forever be on the margins and never uh, take real effective power? 
and if it ever does for not too long, that's the, that's one of the major challenges. Um, and that's something where, you know, that all along we're going to, will now always be seen as a greater risk than it ever was because it happened once. Yes. yes. So, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen again, but it means that we know that it definitely could happen because it did happen and that it will be part of the calculus going forward in decision-making. Yes. And I'm someone's going to be smarter about this and try something else. Because exactly. that, and there is a, what, what we've seen from the pundit class is that they know how to read the numbers, I guess, but they don't know how to read the feel of the electorate. And exactly. the electorate want drama, they want machismo, they want passion, they want crazy stories. Exactly. Um, and that's what they're going to vote for. And so you're not going to be able to pull people. Also, the Nate Silvers of the world, come on, your data model is trying to visualize and explain a data model based on where all your data points are the conclusions of other data models. Well, you know, no scientist would like allow this well, no, <laughs> to be accepted, it's, it's but political science, but, you can be wrong every time and still be a scientist. No, what he said, he doesn't want any falsifiable claims. And so, yeah. but it's also meaningless. It's like, so you're never wrong, but you're also never saying anything right. because we're he, talking about he provided a model that showed all of the possible outcomes. And you could yeah, look at I mean, that model and wrong, see there was so. more possible outcomes for Biden. And that of course became true. Yeah. I think it's the weight people we put behind things like statistical inference from polls. It's like, you're not yes. asking everybody. And it's also just asking them simple questions. It doesn't actually tell you what they're actually going to do. And it only tells you so much. So it's one touch point. It's how, how much do you weight polls in your decision of what's going to happen? And I think that's where a lot of pundits, like you're interviewing people obsessed with statistics that don't understand humans. Right. And so you also need to then interview people who understand humans and might give less weight to uh, these models and kind of mash that all up and, 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 and see, where, see, you, see where you land. Yeah. I mean, the models are interested. Look, we're, we're a society that is increasingly used to and enjoying and expecting data viz um, that allows you to, to wrap your head around what the fuck happen, is going on in any particular sphere. Uh, and the the work that Johns Hopkins did with their data visualization for the spread of COVID, uh, I think has been a, a great reality check for a lot of sort of factual and statistic statistical statistically minded uh, folks. I know in the early on in the days of the COVID crisis, I was on that um, that Johns Hopkins website every day. Now, of course, I'm on all. I was on all of these. Um, election, you know, electoral college websites, but now we, that, and that's the thing we have to get back to solving these actual problems. A number one COVID and I just something. And I, I think that contact tracing and relief, contact tracing and relief, concentrate mm -hmm. on contact tracing uh, and not closures safe, you know, safely keeping things open. I'm not saying this is what I think. I think everything should, should shut down again to stop the spread. And I think we should mask up and shut down in a voluntary non-enforced, you know, uh, fashion, but basically tell people stay home for the love of God or mm -hmm. work together on projects. You know, I, I don't think it's stay home and do nothing. I think it's stay home and do this, stay home and plant trees, stay home and, and educate your kids, stay home and whatever, and provide people those Andrew Yang stimuli to, to keep them 
alive. There is enough money to just carve out a couple thousand bucks for people. Or just create for new God's money. sakes. No, just create or, yeah, new money. Or yeah, and create new money to support, support no, black and brown businesses and emerging thing, businesses. One of the most important things Biden could start doing, especially now, is start changing how money is understood at the federal level by the actual yeah. creators put of Bernie money. in charge of the fed man that's well i mean you'd be treasury secretary but treasury it's like secretary yeah and so and completely start breaking some of the only ties right now to the central bank or private banks we need to disrupt that monopoly entirely but it's like change how money's talked about so come out and say we're doing universal health care the first step because we got covid is exactly what you just said yeah. And then when you do stimulus, present it and start finally changing the narrative, which uh, even economists have been advising um, politicians to do for about 40 years now. Don't talk about, especially the federal government, from the perspective of the household budget, because it doesn't bring in money and spend it. That's not how it works at all. So start changing that narrative and do it with the first stimulus and talk about, um, and I'm not sure exactly, you know, he'd want to hedge it a little bit, but you could say that um, educated about how money is created and saying one of our first steps is directly creating new non-debt based money and and doing it directly to people. and he doesn't even have to bring up anything like universal basic income. But I just start getting out of this idea of pay, pay for, they call it, pay for narrative. Not everything yeah. has to be paid for. I mean, there is, it doesn't mean taxes. It's not quite that, you know, misconception of the modern mon- monetary theory. Things, you still need taxes for a lot of different reasons. One of which is just people paying into a system and showing that they actually support it. But the idea that you always have to identify how you're paying for something like a fiscal stimulus is obviously bullshit. And we've learned that this year and in 2008. Um, And so, again, changing that narrative could go a long way for just long term understanding so people can actually know how things really work. Um, So, yeah, are we going to see that? I don't know. No. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Maybe. yeah, I mean, I think in the, we're going to see in the next couple of weeks uh, most of the country um, try to heal and come together, and we're going to see a small swath of the country argue um, and maybe even try to do destructive things. I, I think fundamentally the president's going to do nothing. I think he's going to come out and say, this is being stolen from me. I don't know. I will never accept this. And who's just going to go away? Yeah. Or he's going to go into his own little bubble. But and I think most of the people that have been sucked into his aura have already started looking at 2021 and being like, where are my alliances? So I can yeah, they know what's preserve. Like the people. Yeah. Most people, the bubble has popped. Yeah. He's I gonna think have, they had it's guys almost in, no. I would put it at like one yeah. percent that he succeeds in getting even one state to put forward a, a separate slate of electors yes, which would be I, a show of his that's what i'm saying i'd put that less than one it's just like his own, his own staff is done they're done there's not going to be a there's no there's nothing behind anything they no, know that the wins are against them and right. so there's no momentum to do anything no well i mean he'll keep a few people in his inner circle as i mean because this is also they might be what they believe, but it's also how they're making their millions and, and staying relevant and in power. <laughs> well, the vast yeah. majority have already 
you know, they're on the phones. Where, where am I going next? What, who am I going to oh, work yeah. with? So not Those guys have been polishing up their, their resumes. <laughs> Some of them for years. I mean, let's, let's be real. Exactly. I mean, I think there was confidence in circles of the campaign, the Trump campaign, that they had the numbers to, to hold on to those, those Hillary states, that blue wall. And they did remarkably well uh, in the in-person voting. I mean, we have to, to accept that, that that um, last little round of rallies that, that, that President Trump did after he recovered or was miraculously cured of, um, of COVID seemed to work. So I would say that it wasn't that the polls were so off. I just think that the polls um, weren't, there wasn't enough polls at that last um, stretch of the campaign to really reflect what it was that he accomplished. I think that had he not done, if he had just sort of given up after COVID um, and said, I'm done and just let the campaign play out and maybe made a couple appearances, um, I don't think he would have performed as well. And I don't think it would have been as tight. And I think that the Democrats honestly might've uh, taken the Senate. Um, but that campaigning he did on the ground um, got his people out and also sent a powerful message that he didn't give a shit about COVID. Because that, I think, is one of the results that we see from some of the exit polling is that in a lot of the, the places that went the most heavy for Trump are the places where coronavirus is, is spreading the, the, the most wild. So <laughs> we were all like, oh, my God, he's killing his own fucking people. Uh, but they are part of his death cult. They want, they would love to be sacrificed, you know. Uh, it would be honor for people to get COVID from the president, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I knew that we'd start seeing, oh, our not long national nightmare is over. No, our nation is the nightmare. <laughs> so we're still here. Uh, even if Donald Trump goes very far away, uh, we're all still here. Um, this is not going to mm -hmm. solve our problems. I guess anymore. the last prediction I want to hear from you is, will he give a formal concession speech or will Never. he? And he's not going so go to go to the inauguration. It'll just. His whole thing is about transfer. violating norms. That's his whole thing. Right. It's the one thing I like about Trump is that he's like, no, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't give a shit about norms. That's kind of it's kind of what meet, I wanted will he from meet the president. Biden in the Oval Office. What's that? Will he meet him there on inauguration? He won't even. He hasn't invited him. Usually, they invite within this this time period. He's not invited him to the White so House. Nothing. But uh, no, I don't think he's. Will he be in the United Biden. States on January twentieth? Um, I don't know. Yes. Most of what we're talking about today, no one knows. He's going to pull some sort of final here. fuck you. That's all I know. But where, that's what I'm saying. Where will he be geographically? He will be in the United States. I think On a golf in, course or at Mar-a-Lago? Yeah, he'll, Mar he'll be in Mar-a-Lago. He'll be in Mar-a-Lago. Uh, what was interesting is when he's claimed he won, I think he was golfing. So if I had Twitter, I would write, if this were a game of golf, you're probably, right. You know what? He might be holding a rally, honestly. Oh, that's true. You so, know? but here, but would would so you think? My guess is he'll be I'm trying to decide whether he'll he's be. He's going to counter program. That that that's his whole thing. Is you know Joe but Biden will he got do that. it on that exact day, or will he just yes. be like? So you're saying that he's going to be hosting a rally on January 20th. He not will golfing. be doing some sort of counter programming, meaning I think he will be. There would be some sort of final fuck. I guess narrative change. He could play yes. golf and do this in one day. So yeah, I mean, it could be that he resigns right at the last minute. I thought that that is a is a possibility. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he might just run. You, you, there's this fantasy. There's a fantasy of putting Trump in jail, and I'm like, oh, I okay, sure. It's not no. It's not, what satisfaction is that? This is going to be pathetic. It really is. No, what you, you I mean, know, the way to put we Trump got in jail is to take away real, his access to the internet effectively, not just marginally. Well, that's the jail for Trump is take. Well, away that's the thing is he's he's not going to give this up, and he's going to keep spouting like crazy, dangerous lies. And he'll get banned from Twitter. And this will be the deciding factor. This will be a deciding moment in the tech wars. <laughs> I hate to call it that. But uh, on the conservative side, there will be an emergent platform. We don't know what it is yet. But, but who met, wherever Trump goes after he's inevitably banned from Twitter will become an emerging force in um, uh, media and social media in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's a whole thing of, Oh, Trump's going to start his own news network. Oh no, 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 no. Trump is going to start his own nation, his own, his own America in exile. I, I don't think fundamentally what I believe is I don't think he will ever concede. And I think he will always maintain, uh, within a, a strange orbit of people, some of whom will be around him in, in form of the sycophancy of his personal life, like his, his own sons and all that. Uh, and some of it will be at the, the fringes who will never accept that this is a legitimate, pre, legitimate presidency and that Trump is sort of a, a president in exile mm-hmm. um, and a political prisoner in his own country wherever he decides. Yeah. To and then in the be. dynastic spirit, he will try to get his son yeah. to become president because he never actually, like you're saying, he didn't actually lose a presidency. It was yes. stolen from him and he's still the rightful president. So now that yeah. he's old enough, his son will take over because that's his heir. Exactly. And that's how he thinks. Exactly. It's a Kim Jong-un type thinking. And yeah. I, I think that, yeah, sending him to jail, I guess, okay, that would be funny. Okay, sure. Yeah, jail is really the problem. Those Jail is really the solution to everybody's problem. No, no, no. Um, so what the- I think is actually there should be legal action against the president. And, and you know, if he's only paid $750 in taxes or whatever, take his fucking properties. Take those hotels and turn them into shelters for people who are experiencing um, issues uh, 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 finding a place to live. That's Him and every other fucking uh, cr- criminal yeah. commercial okay. real estate owner. Kamala's coming out. Oh, they're playing, they're playing cool music. All right. Well, when yeah, will, last question. Eric Trump, will his bid for president begin in 20? 20- for 2024 or 2028? Uh, not Eric. I think Eric will continue to run the, the real estate side and Don will be the uh, uh, Don will be uh, uh, running the political side. Ivanka, well, let's I think say she's going to straddle in between. But you know, his, you don't think his son is ever going to try to run for... Don, will, I, Don Jr. is. I don't think Eric. Oh, Don Jr. That's yeah. what I meant. Oh, let's see what Kamala has to say. All right, beautiful speech. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, thank you. Good evening. So, all right, Lee. I think we're gonna sign off. For <laughs> I know, yeah, I'm like, okay, people are just cheering. I'm glad that they're cheering. It's wonderful. I think we'll go listen to everybody's speeches and then yeah. we'll reconvene. Well, um, for everybody uh, here in America, I'm Lee Golden. You've been listening to me talk on the internet. I'm joined by Ben. 
I guess I don't even think I inter- ever introduced you today. My illustrious colleague, Ben, thank you as always for your commentary. Uh, thank you. I, I cut you off because I, I was so just energetic when the show started. Ready to go. Ready, yeah. just fired well, up. Well, now our no- long national nightmares <laughs> is over. Ha ha ha. And we can all go back. Um, we can flip from the front of the New York Times to the crossword and never worry about uh, the rise of autocracy ever again. If only it was that easy. Let's, if only it was you that know. easy, folks. All right, we'll talk to you later. Have a good night. All right. Congratulations to, to all those who, uh, uh, who, who who got their voice heard during this. Yeah, and I want to give a special shout-out to the organizers for hearing more and more of who don't have the right to vote but were mobilizing people to vote anyway, either because they were too young or because they were disenfranchised or just because they're, they immigrated to this country and haven't been given the right to vote. Special shout out to those individuals. Absolutely. Who, Hell yeah. That's just like, oh my, those those are the most inspiring people to me when it comes to elections. Hell yeah. You know, that's just all right. oh, great. Let's all drink liberal tears of joy tonight. How about that? Fantastic. All right. Well, for everyone here at the Liberal Guild Radio family, I'm Lee Golden. You're listening to me talk on the internet. Ciao. Ciao.